Did anybody else get goosebumps during that song? That should have, like, I mean, I almost wanted to just stand up and go, oh, praise God on that. Because I think that's a great song where we've just been sitting here for the past few weeks and, 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 and looking at. But we are in a book of uh, Isaiah, and I would encourage you. We're going to be looking at actually three sections of Scripture today. I would encourage you to turn to Isaiah 66, Revelation 19, and 2 Corinthians 5. Isaiah 66, Revelation 19, 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to be hitting all those today. But we have been in a study of Isaiah. Now, just because I'm in Isaiah 66, you're going to see, oh, that's the last chapter. We're done with Isaiah. No, we're not. Um, I made this very, very clear at the beginning of this. I wasn't sure if I was going to go like from chapter 1 through, but as you realize, I'm jumping all over the place. And um, over the past couple weeks, we have actually been looking at judgments. And if you remember... When I first talked about this, I said that through the book of Isaiah, there are numerous passages about the judgment of God. And, and I, I, I said I didn't want to just preach through all these passages because there would be at least 20 messages on God's judgment. And I didn't want to just keep bringing the hammer down on the judgment of God. So what I decided to do was highlight um, different judgments, like main judgments, and, and, and talk about those. So over the past couple of weeks, that's what we've looked at. And week one, we looked at um, a couple different judgments. We, we looked at the judgment of disobedience. And this is the one we see a lot in Isaiah, and we see a lot in the Old Testament. And the judgment of disobedience was when Israel, God's people, chose not to obey God. They knew what to do. They knew what not to do. And they were like, eh, we're going to do it anyway. And so God would send warnings. That's why we have the prophets. The prophets would warn Israel time and time and time again and say, knock it off. And after a, a number of warnings, God would be like, okay, it's time for judgment. And he would judge the people. And we got to remember, as I said, it's, it's no different for us. Hebrews chapter 12 doesn't call it God's judgment. He calls it God's discipline. All right? The Lord disciplines his children. So when we as New Testament believers know what the Bible says and we choose not to do it, we choose, well, I know what God's telling me to do, but I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. God will warn us. He's patient with us, but he will discipline us. And that judgment can come upon us when we refuse to do what God's word says repeatedly. But then we also looked at the judgment of the garden. That if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve sinned and they, they opened the door for sin to come into the world, God judged them. He judged Adam. He judged Eve. He judged the, 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 the world. And a lot of the pain that we experience in life, pain, hurt, Sickness, disease, death, all of it is simply an outflow from that curse. It's an outflow from that judgment. And, and so sometimes, you know, bad things happen to us not because God's like spanking us. It's just because, well, we live in a cursed world and we live with sin all around us. And so that was in week one. And then last week we looked at the, the, the judgment of the end times. 
and, and we said that there is a time coming. In fact, even Isaiah says it. He says, for the word of the Lord is spoken. There is a, a time coming that God is going to unleash his wrath upon the earth. And that judgment is called the tribulation period. And, and we talked about that last week. And so I would encourage, if you've missed last week, the week before, you've missed any of these three judgments, go listen to them. Get, get the podcast, go onto our website, listen to these. Um, but last week I talked about the tribulation. And, and I showed that that is going to be a time, a period of about seven years, that um, hell on earth is going to take place. And God will unleash that judgment upon the world. And so today, we are moving into the last set of judgments I want to talk about. And we will be ending our, our topic on judgment. And today is the, the, the topic, the idea of um, judgment of eternity. These are probably the most important judgments we need to hear. Because these judgments aren't temporary. These judgments aren't just a period of time. These judgments are eternal. They never come to an end. Let that speak to you for a second. That's how serious these need to be. My heart's pat all morning, my stomach's been turning. In fact, if you can kind of see, see my handshake, it's not because I'm nervous. I know the weight of this message and the weight of these judgments. And my prayer is, is that um, you will hear this. Because Hebrews chapter 9, look at this verse, very simple. Hebrews chapter 9. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There are two important truths there. Anybody can tell me what they are? Death and judgment. Death and judgment. Just like death and taxes. Death and judgment. Truth number one is we're all going to die. If we're not raptured, you're going to die. Okay? That's just truth, isn't it? No one beats. Death has a 100%, um, you know, one for one, it, it, it doesn't, it, nobody's escaped it. But the second truth is after you die comes judgment. There is no, hey, let's take another lap and let's, let's get a better run at this. There is no, well, we'll come back as a different thing. No, it, it's you die once and then you go to judgment, the eternal judgments. And that's what we want to see today. And I believe we're going to see this from Isaiah chapter 66 today. Now, as I work through uh, these, this text, um, my points aren't, you're like going to, I don't see that point in there. Here's the way I'm going to work this, is I'm going to read the portion of, of, in chapter 66 of Isaiah, and then I'm connecting it to something in the New Testament. And I'm going to show you that there's words that Isaiah says in this text, and they are exactly the same thing that the New Testament says. Okay? And so we, let's look at three judgments that, that I believe Isaiah is seeing. Because remember, Isaiah was a prophet. And, and the thing about Isaiah was this. He heard what God had to say, and he saw what God was going to do. 
And he saw different judgments. He saw the judgments that came upon Israel. He saw the judgment of the tribulation. And I believe in this text, he actually is seeing glimpses of the eternal judgments. So let's get an idea of these three eternal judgments that I want to talk about today. Here's the first one. There is the eternal judgment for the Antichrist. There's the eternal judgment for the Antichrist. Now look at Isaiah 66, starting with verse 15. He says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger and fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. What do you think Isaiah is seeing in this little, this little portion of Scripture? What do you think he's seeing? You can't answer. <laughs> Behold, the Lord is coming. What do you think he's seeing? The return of Christ. Okay? He is seeing the second coming of Christ. Well, Jim, how do you see that in there? Well, now this is where I, Revelation chapter 19 was going to come into play. Now, there are some key words here in Isaiah 66 that you need to see that will link the, 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 the 19th chapter of Revelation. He says, behold, he's going to come with fire. All right. And he, he, he talks about judging with fire. All right. He says that there's chariots with him, meaning like there's an army with him. He, he says that by his sword, flesh is going to die. All right. So he's seeing something, and Revelation chapter 19 shows us this. So if you have Revelation 19, let me show you what's going on here. Now remember, Revelation, again, Revelation is written by the apostle John. And the Apostle John is seeing a vision, okay? He, he, God allows him to come up to heaven, and he's seeing what's going on in heaven, but he's also seeing what's going on on the earth, the tribulation. But now he's also going to see what happens at the end of the tribulation. He's going to see Christ come back. Now, remember, I said this last week. The return of Christ is going to happen in two phases. Phase one, do you guys remember what phase one is? What, 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 what's the first return of Christ? The rapture, okay? That is going to happen right before the tribulation takes place. That's the thing that Jesus keeps talking about. My return is going to be like a thief in the night. You don't know when it's going to happen. So be ready, be awake, understand that it can happen at any moment. The rapture is the next prophetic event on the prophetic calendar. It is drawing near, folks. Because I have talked about the signs that, that Jesus said would happen. And the signs are like birth pains. A woman is pregnant, but how many of you know there's a difference between pregnancy and birth pains? All right, And birth pains, when they come on, birth is imminent. Jesus says, when you start to see things in the earth and they are just ramping up, birth is imminent because they're birth pains. And the birth that we are about to see is Jesus Christ coming back. 
and he is going to come back as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I taught on that last week. That's why I said, if you missed last week, listen to the, that message. But he's going to come back, and he's going to call up or catch away the church. And the church is going to be caught up dead and alive. If you are dead in the grave, your body is going to come back, to, to, back alive. Well, Jim, what if you've been like, cremated? How many of you know, if God made stuff out of dust in the beginning, he can do it in the end, all right? So God will call up, Jesus will bring back to life every believer who died in him, all right? Because it says in 1 Thessalonians that those who are in Christ, dead or alive, you're going to get raptured. You're going to get caught up in the air with Christ and then return back to heaven. And then... That's when the tribulation is going to be poured out. And God's judgments are going to be poured out on this earth. All the believers dead and alive will be in heaven. All the unbelievers will be upon the earth going through the tribulation. After the, when the tribulation is ready to conclude, second phase happens. The second phase of Christ's return is the complete return of Jesus back to earth, where once again, his feet will touch the ground. The back of the book of, actually, the book of Zechariah says that when he does that, the earth will split in half. Revelation 19 here is the second full return of Christ. Look at what it says. John says, and he says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. Now, here's the thing. We don't see the name of Jesus in here, but you know darn well that's who he's talking about, all right? He sees this rider on a horse, Faithful and True. Jesus is faithful and true because he's faithful and true to his word, and he's faithful and true to what he does, he says, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. The righteousness means ultimately what this is saying is that God, that Jesus once and for all is dealing with sin. It is eliminated. It is, it is finally beaten. It is finally destroyed. He is going to defeat it by his righteousness. It goes on in verse 12. His eyes are like flames of what? What word did I say be aware of? Fire. Isaiah saw something. He saw the Lord coming, and he kept seeing fire, fire, fire. And here it is. He says, John says, his eyes were like flames of fire. What that is meaning is that the, the that, how many of you ever had somebody stare at you and you just got uncomfortable? Because like their stare was just penetrating. The eyes of flaming eyes of Jesus means that his, his, he, it's a penetrating stare. It, it, it's the penetrating power of his judgment. It's the all-knowing of all things. All right? That's what that's describing here. And it goes on. He says, his eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Just meaning like he is the king. No other, no other ruler, no other prophet, no other religious leader, no one else. Jesus is claiming and making the claim, I am the king. 
He says, it goes on, he says, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. That, it, that kind of gives the, uh, the idea of his infinite, unknowable things that Jesus choose to, chooses to reveal and keeps to himself. Let me ask you, are you okay with that? That Jesus is like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sharing everything with you. Because sometimes we think, well, Jesus owes me. And he doesn't owe us nothing. So there are things, there's a name that Jesus refers to himself and only he knows it. And you and I are not, are not privy to it. And John goes on in verse 13. It says, his clothes, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The blood could mean, um, it could be synonymous with his crucifixion. It could be the blood of the martyrs or the blood of his enemies that was, will take place in this thing. It goes on, he says, and he has a name which is called the word of God. Reference, if you go back to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It's describing Jesus, okay? In verse 14, and here it is, and the armies of heaven. What did Isaiah say? The Lord is coming, and what was with him? Chariots, all right? And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Hey, um, do you know who the armies of heaven are? Us. And guess what we're on? A white horse, and you're robed in white linen. Now you're thinking, well, well that's not very exciting. Well, here's the thing you've got to understand. The white linen represents the absolute perfection and purity that you have when you get to heaven. Because when you and I get to heaven, our bodies and our spirits are coming back together and you are raised in mortal. You are raised in glorification. And that is represented. How many of you know on this side of heaven, you're not perfect and you're still a sinner, all right? But on that side, when you get from here to there, in a moment, in an instant, you are made perfect in every aspect. And so the fine linen represents the perfection and the purity we have in Christ. And look at verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. What did Isaiah see? A sword. But it says from his mouth comes this sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Isaiah says, I saw a sword, and he struck down and he killed, and the many that were slain were many. What's the sword coming out of his mouth? Anybody have an idea? The word of God. Hebrews chapter 12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. The word coming out of Jesus' mouth is the word of God. So all of this is taking place. In fact, if you look at verse 16, it says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is just, he is now coming back with us. And he is declaring, I am the king. I am the supreme ruler. And look at what he's doing now. Why this is taking place. Verse 19. And I saw the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to be indwelled with Satan. All right? So you got to understand, the Antichrist isn't just some average dude. This guy is going to be evil to the max. 
Just like you will be completely pure, like Christ is completely pure and sinless, the Antichrist is going to be pure evil and corrupt to the core. Why? Because of Satan. He says, and so John says, I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him. Do you still have your fingers there in, in Isaiah? Let me show you something. Isaiah 66 again. Look at verse 18. He says, I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Isaiah says there's a time where the nations are going to gather. They are coming together, and they're going to see the glory of Christ. So what did he just say? I saw the beast and all the kings of the earth. Who are the kings? Leaders. Leaders of what? Nations. Countries. So all of these, at the end of the tribulation, everyone who is left, who has not died from all the judgments, are now coming together. The Antichrist is, is, is you know, El Presidente, and he is, followed, he is coming along with all of the leaders, all the countries, and they are, have only one mission. They see what's coming. They see the glory of Jesus Christ and his army coming. And so the Antichrist with his army says, oh, here's what we're going to do. Let's wage war. And so the Antichrist has his army and he says, let's wage war against him who is sitting on the horse and against his army. Okay. Um, so you and I are going to war, but here's the good news. You're not going to have to fight. All you got to know is know how to ride a horse. All right. So practice up. Now look at verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet. The false prophet is, is his religious leader who is going to deceive people. Remember I said that last week? I said that there would be such a great deception during the, the, the tribulation period? Well, here's why. You have the, the Antichrist who's going to be filled with Satan, and Satan is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. That's what the Antichrist is going to be. And then you have the false prophet who's going to be teaching nonsense when it comes to religion. And people are going to be deceived. A great delusion will come over people. So the beast was captured along with a false prophet who in its presence and had done the signs by which, here it is, he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest, meaning the, the armies, the rest of the people, here it is, were slain by the sword that came from his mouth, who was sitting on the horse. Jesus isn't even going to break a sweat in this fight. All he's going to do is speak a word. Done. And all the enemies of God eliminated. Do you see that in Isaiah now? He sees the Lord coming. And his chariots. He sees the army. And he sees the fire. He sees the sword. And he sees the slain. You see, the, the Antichrist is getting judged. 
And the Antichrist is going to be thrown with the prophet into the lake of fire. I'm not going to read it, but if you go down to um, Revelation chapter 20, it talks about um, the devil, Satan, will eventually also be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this lake of fire is going to be key because if you look at actually uh, chapter 20, look at verse 10. It says, the devil who was deceived had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The lake of fire is the literal hell. And the lake of fire, even though it's called the second death, is not death. It's not annihilation. The beast, the false prophet, and Satan are thrown into the lake of fire. They are alive in the lake of fire. And it says, and they will suffer. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Why? Because the eternal judgment isn't temporary. Eternal judgment is forever. These are things that you and I need to really understand. And not just think of this, well, this is just kind of like a nice little story. Loved ones, listen. This is going to happen. The, the rapture is going to happen. The tribulation is going to happen. This fight is going to happen. And there is a literal place called the lake of fire. A literal place called hell. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan are finding their judgment. And they will all be judged by the ultimate judge once and for all and done with. So you have the judgment of the Antichrist. Here's the second eternal judgment, and it's this. There is the eternal judgment for the believer in Christ. There is the eternal or the, the, the eternal judgment for the believer. Now, again, let's go back to Jer uh, Jer Isaiah 66. Again, you don't see this per se, the, 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 the point, like word for word here, but we see it. Look at verse 16. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment. He entered it with the eyes of fire, with the Antichrist. But there is another judgment that we see the eyes of fire, where we see the fire coming to play in judgment. And that judgment is found first in Second First of all, in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to start there. And then if you want to get ready... We're also going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So start first in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then put your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because they connect. All right? Even though they're two separate, Paul talks about, talks about them separately, they are connected. So now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the judgment for a believer. Starting with verse 6, he says, so we, meaning the church, okay? Remember, First and Second Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church, all right? 
He's writing to the church in, a, in an ancient Greece town called Corinth. And he's writing to this church. And, he, and, and, and all the epistles of the New Testament, the primary person being spoken to was the believer. All right? Not unbelievers. Paul is addressing believers here. He's addressing the saints in the church. He's addressing those who profess, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. All right? So if you are sitting here today and you profess and you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, this is talking to you. All right? And here's what Paul says. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, meaning while we, the spirit, okay, your spirit lives in the body, all right? Got to remember that you are a soul, a spirit, and a body. Your spirit and your soul live in this body. And that's where he's going, that's where he's hitting here. As long as we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. And while we're here, we walk by faith and not by sight. Anybody agree with that one? Verse 8, he says, yes. We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What he's saying there, he goes, I would rather be dead and be with Christ than staying here. Sometimes, do you ever feel like that? Oh, Jesus, take me home. That's what Paul's saying here. He goes, we would rather be with Christ than here. In verse 9, he says, so whether we are at home or away, whether we're with the Lord, whether we're here, doesn't make a difference. Here it is. We make it our aim to please him. Who's him? Christ. He's like, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a Christian, we have one aim. And what's that aim? Please the Lord. He's setting the goal. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, here's your goal. Please the Lord. That's actually a great litmus test if you want to just be real about it. A great litmus test to determine who truly is a believer in Christ and who isn't. Because as, if I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ, if I'm just playing church, my primary goal is not to please the Lord. Who's it to please? Self. I'm going to live for self. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is how I want to behave. This is how I want to talk. I'm going to do what I want and I don't care. That is not a believer in Jesus Christ because my mission, my goal, my purpose, my aim is not to please the Lord. Paul says, if you want to know who a believer is, you are aiming. You are, your purpose, your goal, not perfect, but your pursuit. I want to please the Lord. I want to live for him. I want to act and behave, and I want to talk. I want to, I want to shine like Christ. I want to bring him glory. I want to bring him honor. That is our goal as a believer in Jesus Christ. If that's not your goal, man, you better rethink everything. You better rethink and examine to find out if you truly are in the faith as Paul talks about. But here's why we make it our aim to please the Lord. He gives us the answer in verse 10. Here's why. He says, so we make it our aim to please him. For, here's why, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul says, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you better make it your aim to please the Lord, and here's why. You're going to stand before him. 
He's going to be seated on his judgment seat. And you, as a believer in Christ, will have to walk up and stand before him and give an account of your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. But Jim, I don't see where the fire is. There's no fire in there. So how did you come up with fire? Go to 1 Corinthians now, chapter 3. Now let's connect these two. Now here's the thing. This judgment seat of Christ as a believer, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a believer in Christ, this judgment seat is not to judge you for your sin, but your service. You see, when you, in the the present, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, when you come to that place where you have acknowledged your sin and you've confessed and Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner, come into my life, save me. You see, in that moment, when you come to know Christ, you are saved, all right? You have eternal life in Christ. You are, as all these, all these things that the Bible talks about, you are redeemed in Christ. You are justified before God. You are righteous before God. You are not condemned in God anymore. Man, you have eternal life. You are signed, sealed, and delivered. The Bible says in Ephesians that you are already seated in the heavenly realms as a believer in Jesus Christ. That is off the board. You're not standing before Jesus giving an account of your sin. That's done. Jesus paid that for you if you know him now. But as a believer, you got to understand, I'm not going to be judged for my sin, but my life now affects what will take place at that judgment. And here's why. And here's where we go in 1 Corinthians 3. Here's where we need to understand that how I presently live will affect my judgment before Christ. So Paul writes, look at verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? Apollos was a, a pastor in this church. And he says, what is Paul? So he's trying to get this church because this church was aligning themselves with one of these two. You had people in the church going, oh, I love Apollos. I'm following him. And other people are like, uh-uh, I'm following Paul. I love him. And Paul's like, listen, listen, time out. Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? The rhetorical questions because he, had, he gives them the answer. Look at right after. He goes, who is Apollo? Who's Apollo? What's Paul? He's right here. Servants. He's like, do you want to know who Apollos is? Here he is. He's a servant. Do you want to know who I am as Paul? I'm a servant. That is it. He's like, I am a servant just like you. And we are servants of only one master. And who's the master? Jesus Christ. He says, we are all servants. Look at verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. So what he's saying is this. He goes, you and I, we're the same, okay? We're all just servants. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. You're just a servant, all right? Paul's like, the idea is that we're all watering. We're all planting. We're all working. We're doing our job for Christ. We're serving Christ. We're doing his work. We're laboring for him. That's the key. Paul's like, I don't care who you are. I don't care your position. We're all servants. The question is, is are you serving the Lord? Because look what he says. 
He says, he who plants, he who waters are one. And each, here it is, each will receive his wages according to his labor. The wages that he's talking about are your rewards. Understand this, loved ones. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when you stand before Christ, you're not going to be held accountable for your sin, but you'll be held accountable for your service to the Lord. And you are going to be rewarded to what you did. All right? It's kind of like, like, like your labor for the Lord, you're going to earn your paycheck. Get that. You're working for the Lord, and you're going to get paid for it. But if you're not working for the Lord, let's put this in everyday example. How many of you have, a, you know, if you've got a job, how many of you get a paycheck? I'm hoping everybody gets a paycheck. I hope you're not. Well, I just know I work for free. I love it. We get a paycheck. Now, let me ask you, if you didn't work for so-and-so company, would you go to the company on Friday and go, hey, where's my paycheck? They'd look at you like a cow staring in a new gate and go, are you mental? You don't work for us. Why are we going to pay you? Well, because I deserve it. No. If you come and work for us, we'll pay you. But if you don't work for us, you don't get paid. Paul is saying that. He's saying if you work for the Lord, you're going to get paid. But if you don't work for the Lord, you don't get paid. Well, let's see that, okay? We still haven't seen fire yet, have we? Now we're going to look at some fire. Look at verse 9. Paul continues this idea of being a worker. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than one which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus Christ as a foundation. All right? The foundation. What do you think Jesus is the foundation of? Trick question, maybe. He's the foundation of what? Everything, kind of, sort of. The church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. And Paul's like, we are to be building on this thing. We are to be laboring for it, working for it, growing it, encouraging it, moving it forward. That's what we, as a believer in Christ, are to be doing. And so he goes, we are to be building on this foundation that Jesus Christ has already laid. Now here it is. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So he, he's giving some elements here. When he talks about gold, silver, and precious stones, you can look at those things like um, they're permanent. They have value. But when he talks about wood, hay, and straw, these are things that are passing, temporary, ordinary, worthless. All right? He's comparing these things. And then he goes on and he says, and here it is, verse 13, each one's work, each one's work, your labor for the Lord will become manifest for the day. What day? The day of judgment at the, at the, at the seat of Christ. The day will disclose it because here it is, it will be revealed by what? Fire. Your work, when you stand before Christ, is going to be revealed by fire. The question is, is what's the fire? His eyes. 
His burning eyes are going to burn through everything we've done. All right? Now look what Paul writes. Look what he says. He says, so the day is going to disclose it. It's going to be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each person has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through the fire. Paul is simply saying this. Our lives are made up of choices. And the thing is, is what we choose to do now will affect what will happen before Christ. So if I choose to live my life for self, I choose, see, this is why we need to understand, we're not judged for our sin, but if I choose to live in sin now, and indifference, and, and, and idleness, and I'm just like, you know what, I'll just go to church and be okay with that. Here's what happens. I'm not going to be judged for my sin, but my sin affects what I do for Christ. Because if I'm living in sin, I'm not going to want to do anything for God. Because I'm living for myself. And I'm not going to be interested in his word. I'm not going to be interested in serving. I'm not going to be interested in really worshiping. I'm just going to live for self. And Paul's like, if that's what you're about, if you're about living for self, you have no fruit, you're not laboring for the Lord, you're not working for the Lord, you're going to be saved. But your backside's going to be smoking. Because the only thing you have is I profess Christ as my Savior, but I have nothing. He's like, you'll be saved. You'll get to heaven. But you will have nothing from the Lord. And I truly, I, I sat and thought about this, and I'm wondering if one of the things we will lose is an acclamation from the Lord. And that acclamation is this. Well done, good and faithful servant. I sit and wonder how many people who, yep, I'm a Christian, I went to church, but I did nothing for the Lord. Jesus wants to know, what are you doing for me? How are you working for me? I've given you time, I've given you talents, I've given you abilities, I gave you spiritual gifts. How did you use them for me? How did you build my church? How did you build on the foundation? I gave you money. How did you use that money for me? And he's going to want to know that. And if I did nothing for Christ in this life, I will lose everything. And I wonder if we'll lose hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I think some people, Paul and I kind of talked about this, I think some people are like, well, as long as, I, as long as I just get to heaven, I'll be okay. Loved ones, Paul is telling us there's so much more than just getting to heaven. He's talking about you can have rewards from Christ. But you've got to earn it. You've got to labor for it. You've got to take the things that God has given you and use it for his glory. You've got to take your money, use it for the glory of Christ. You've got to take your talent, your abilities, your time, use it for the glory of Christ. And I'm telling you, if you're not laboring for Christ... You'll stand before the judgment and see to Christ. And you'll suffer loss. But man, think of the reward. How faithful you've been for how long you've been a Christian. You, you, know, you have maybe done a lot, but maybe you've just been faithful in the little things.
You've been faithful with your finances. You've been faithful. Hey, you know what? I've helped in children's ministry when I can. I've helped in a small group. I've helped, you know, maybe greeting. I've helped with a a mission. I've helped, you know, at the food pantry. I've helped in different ways. Man, I I haven't done a lot, but man, I just keep trying. I just keep trying. Just keep trying. I'm telling you, it's like investing in a Roth IRA. You just keep putting $10 in, $10 in, $10 in, and it just keeps building and building and building. Listen, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be this, you know, like great big leader in the church. Man, you just, I know what, I cleaned the church. I just was faithful at cleaning the church. And I truly believe that those are the people who will stand before Jesus and he will declare, well done, good and faithful servant. So you see, there is the judgment for the believer at the seat of Christ. Then lastly, and this one's going to go fast. Here's the last one. There is an eternal judgment for the unbeliever of Christ. Are you all still with me? Okay, I'm glad one person is. You got to give me some, everybody's still with me? Okay, hang in there, we're almost done here. So here's the last one. There will be an eternal judgment for the unbeliever in Christ. Again, look at Isaiah 66. So in verse 18, he talks about a gathering. But look at verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. And here it is. For their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched. Do you remember, does anybody know who else uh, quoted that? The worm shall not die, and the fire shall not be quenched. Who else said that? Jonah? Not Jonah. Got the J right. Jesus. Mark chapter 9. Jesus is talking about hell. And he references this about hell. And he quotes Isaiah. And he says, here's what hell is going to be like. It is going to be where the worm doesn't die. And I don't know what that means. But the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. He's talking about something eternal that is going to take place that is going to be horrible. And that is where we look at now Revelation chapter 20. This is the end times, the final judgment that will take place. For every unbeliever who truly does not know Jesus Christ will be at this judgment seat. In verse 11 of chapter 20, it says, And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, meaning the spiritual dead, great and small. Okay, there's going to be a gathering at this seat. There's going to be a gathering of people, great and small. Doesn't matter who you are. If you don't know Jesus, you're standing here, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they did. Now, when it talks about the sea, death, and Hades... The sea and death are simultaneous. It's talking about the grave, all right? The body goes into the grave, that's death. But what is Hades? Hades is the holding place, the prison that unbelieving spirits go to. As a believer in Christ, your spirit goes to heaven. But if it is an unbeliever in Christ, when you die, your spirit goes to Hades. Jesus talks about this in the book of Luke chapter 16. When Lazarus, a poor man, dies, he went to Abraham's bosom. But when this rich man, who had no, nothing to, 
No regard for God. It says when he died, he went to Hades and he was tormented there. Hades is the holding cell, the prison, not purgatory. We're not praying anybody out of this thing. You get to there, you're stuck. But this is the holding cell until this judgment. And then when this judgment takes place, the death will give up the dead. The bodies of dead people will be raised, just like believers will be raised at the rapture. Dead bodies of unbelievers are going to be raised up. And then Hades is giving up the dead. Body and spirit will come together again for unbelievers. And now they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ or the judgment seat of the great white throne. And they will give an account for what they did. And everything in their life is going to be laid bare. But here's the kicker. Look at verse 14. Death and Hades were now thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Remember, the second death doesn't mean annihilation. In verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Loved ones, this is a reality. Right now, there are people who do not know Christ as Savior. Jesus repeats himself time and time and time again. When we were going through the book of John, he says this time and time and time again. I am the life. I am the one who gives eternal life. He says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. We, right now, if you don't know Christ, you see, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners, and we all are separated from God because of our sin. Our sin separates us from God. And there's nothing you and I can do to earn our salvation. We can't earn our righteousness. We can't earn our way to God. There's nothing you and I can do. You can't be good enough. You can't be pretty enough. You can't be sexy enough. You can't be religious enough. Nothing. Everything we do fails. And all of our attempts fall short of the glory of God. So Jesus dies on a cross, and it is through faith in him alone You've got to come to the place where you personally repent of your sin. Where you say, Jesus, I am a sinner. You are, you are the Savior. I believe in you. I confess you. Come into my life. Be my Savior. That is how you miss this. But the people who say, you know what? I don't need Jesus. I've gone to, I went to Sunday school as a kid. I'm good to go. I, I, I know the Ten Commandments. I was baptized as a baby. I, 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 I do all the religious stuff. I give the charity, all that stuff. I don't need Jesus. I've done enough. I think I'm going to I, I, I'm get to heaven on my own merit. These are the people that will stand there. Because the book of life will be opened up. And anybody whose name is not found in the book of life. And the only way your name is found in the book of life is you got to know the one who gives life. And the one who gives life is Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe in him, I'm not talking mentally. We can all have a mental belief. Do you know him in your heart? Do you truly believe him? In him? And I'm telling you, that what, like I said, the litmus test is what we do. Your belief affects what you do. Plain and simple. If I had a live wire up here, if I had an electrical wire, and it was like, I'm just like, who don't want to come and touch this thing? People are like, uh, I'm not going to touch that. Why? Why? Well, you believe that there's power there. So you're not going to grab a bare wire because you believe it's alive. If I truly believe in Jesus Christ, it affects what I do. 
and, 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 and my life is different. My life changes. If my life is the same as it was 50 years ago, I am probably not a believer in Jesus Christ. And John is making it very clear that there will be people. Their bodies are going to be raised from the dead. Their spirits are coming out of Hades. And they will be joined together and they will stand before the great white throne judgment. And they will be sentenced. And this judgment, just like heaven, hell is eternal. The lake of fire again. Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire and they will be tormented there day and night forever and ever. Now, some people will say, well, I just don't believe God sends people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. Hell was never created for you and me. It was created for Satan and him to go. But because of sin, sin has to be, it's got to be taken care of. Sin sends us to hell. Peter says that God is patient with us. He wants no one to perish, no one. And he warns us time and time. And he gives you and I a chance to come to repentance. He gives you and I a chance to acknowledge our sin. He's given you a chance. If you still have air in your lungs and you have never believed in Jesus, he's given you a chance today. You're hearing the truth. You're hearing the message. And you can either accept it or reject it. And you can reject it your entire life. But there's going to come a day where God's going to say this, give me back my breath. And your body will die. And in that moment, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man to die once and then to judgment. Loved ones, listen to me. If you are here today, and I don't care if you've been in this church for years. I don't care if you've called your, considered yourself, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. I, you know, I, 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 try, I believe in God. Listen, if you have never personally accepted Jesus as your Savior. You are an unbeliever. You don't know Jesus Christ. Your name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are still separated from God. And if you breathe your last breath, your body will go to the grave, but your spirit will descend into Hades and it will sit there until God says, come up here. And then you will stand before the judgment seat of that great white throne. And there is no, well, God, forgive me. God, give me a second chance. There is no second chance at that point. Right now is your only chance. While you still have breath in your lungs and a heartbeat in your chest, you have the, the, you have the privilege to receive the grace of God that he has shed on the cross to say, I know you're a sinner. And I died for you. All you got to do is believe it, accept it, receive it, and allow Christ to change you. So that way you can go to the judgment seat of Christ and enjoy heaven your entire forever and ever and miss the great white throne. But only you can make that decision. Let's close our eyes. Let's close in a word of prayer. Let's not worry about a closing song if you just want to. But if you would just close your eyes, I, I just... 
as I said, this, this message weighed heavy on me. And if I seemed a little passionate, if I seemed a little like, wow, Jim's awful, awful loud today, it's because this is one of the most important things you can ever hear. Where will you spend eternity? This life is temporary. The pain we go through in this life is temporary. Any judgments we have on this life is temporary. But the eternal judgments are forever. And if you are here today and you have never truly professed Christ as your Savior, you'll be forever lost. Why gamble that? Why take that risk? Today, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, lift your hand because I want to pray with you. Say, Jim, I don't know Christ. I, I think I'm religious. I think I'm good. But I, I don't think I've ever received Christ as my Savior. If that is you, just raise your hand because I want to pray for you today. I don't want anybody walking out of this place being uncertain and not knowing. So I'm going to just close this in a word of prayer. And even as we leave, if you are still like, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, but you're just like, I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to be embarrassed. Then talk to me out in the foyer. Come and tell me, Jim, I, I, I don't know Christ. And let's get you saved today. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I know this is a heavy message. This was a long message. But Lord, I believe it's very vital to hear. Because... Father, you tell us in your word that today, if you hear his voice, don't reject it, don't ignore it, for today is the day of salvation. So Lord, if there would be anyone here, even as we leave this morning, Lord, if they're convicted, I pray that they would come and talk to me or talk to someone they know, but they would get themselves saved today and not risk that great white throne judgment. Jesus, you're coming back. This world is, is creening to a, a chaotic end. And help us to be ready. Help us to be awake. Help us to make sure that our, our lamps are trimmed and ready to, to, to see the, the bride, the groom come. And so, Lord, we, 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 we want to be ready for you. And so we praise you today. And it's in Christ's name. Amen.